And so um, from the people who are building stuff to the people that are piggybacking on the people that are building stuff. Um, my name is Maxine and I work with Ifan called Nordzone, um, a name specifically designed to be unpronounceable in any language, um, honestly, by the founders in the beginning. Um, we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of give you a brief intro of who we are. I'll keep it pretty short. Please kind of interrupt with any questions at any time. And then I thought I'd give like just a very brief kind of introductory view on how we see the markets, how we see valuations, how we look at metrics and kind of how that's changed from the kind of the big two party years or 20 and 21 to 22 that definitely comes with its own challenges. Um, but we as a fund um, kind of have always been in the earliest stages. This is a photo of one of our most successful founders, Daniel Ek. Um, if you've seen the playlist on Spotify, we are the female golfer. Um, everything else in that series is untrue. Um, but we've kind of always been very focused on trying to build up our platform and kind of not just kind of stay in the giving you money part of things, but rather kind of build the, the ops team that we have, which is recruiting and marketing and legal and so forth. And really kind of focus on the entrepreneurs versus the sectors. Um, so we invest very kind of sector agnostically in Europe and in the US, um, kind of coming from the Nordics, then, you know, going to London, going to Berlin, going to Amsterdam, going to New York, and kind of continually investing across these geos. Um, we're probably still known for being the first and biggest ticket in Spotify, but that is kind of ancient history now. So today I'd rather point to Personio being one of our breakout companies. Um, Last year, I would have pointed to Hopin, perhaps not as much anymore, um, and a few other kind of cool brand names. But I think what we're the, the kind of the common thread with us is that we're really looking for entrepreneurs. Um, we've been around since the mid 90s, which means that we're investing from fund 10. We're not like our reputation is everything we have, and the founders we partner with is everything that we've got. So um, I think we're definitely more in the long term type of game versus um, other funds that are also amazing. But if you're raising your first fund or your second fund, you're going to have a very different outlook on kind of the short-term returns that you do. Um, but a few kind of logos on there and then um, a few more logos on here. Um, I thought I would stop there in terms of kind of the North Zone intro. Um, I don't think we have any more slides. Maybe you can help people. What are the chick sizes you do? When do you prefer coming in? Yeah, How? Sure. Like, of course. Um, so we were investing a billion dollar fund or a billion euro fund. <laughs> These days, it actually matters what currency you say when you talk about them. Um, but basically, from the earliest days of seed, which is like two, three million rounds up to um, pre-IPO rounds. Um, I think we tend to play at Series A, which for us is investing three to 12 million in rounds that are eight to 15 million euros or dollars, if you will. Obviously, a Series A in Helsinki is very different to a Series A in New York. Um, so kind of take it for what it is. And I think also these kind of the, the round names, what is seed, what is Series A is also super complicated. So basically, we invest our smallest ticket is a million. And then we go up to, I'd say, 35, 40 almost these days. Um, but definitely... That's in dollars, sorry? Or euros? Uh, well, euros, euros. <laughs> I euros. should say, okay. or dollars. Yeah, okay. Um, but basically, we're super flexible. And I think that's the that's the kind of um, benefit of having been in the business for so long that we play for ownership in the beginning. And then at the later stages, we play for money at work. Because um, obviously, that ownership matters less in growth stages. And we are um, quite active as investors, I'd say. Um, kind of 
back to the platform team that we've been building. We want to be super active in our companies. We want to be there. Um, but we also, we're very aware that some founders just want our money and then want to see us at the board meetings. And that's fine too. So basically it's kind of a, a one, one-stop shop when it comes to. So we are, venture capital is so early that we only invest equity. We don't do debt in addition. And I'd say if, if you know, 36 months ago, that's three years ago, our, our ticket sizes are the same. Um, 2021 were insane years when it came to kind of public valuations when it comes to kind of the tech frenzy. So I'd say now our ticket sizes have definitely gone down. And if we look to the overall, I'd say investor sentiment right now, there's definitely... Like if I look to what matters to us right now, especially investing in B2B sauce or B2B in general, I'd say growth is definitely still the number one metric. Um, yearly ARR growth, that is what we look at. Then the kind of the second one that has been super relevant, but it's more than ever is definitely net revenue retention. That is the one thing we look at. Um, profitability has kind of is a, is a solid third, I'd say. And that can mean different things and, and happy to talk more about that. But you can look at profitability on an overall kind of kind of operating margin type of lens, or you can look at unit economics. A lot of people talk about the rule of 40, which is basically kind of the combination of your margin and your growth. Um, the rule of 40 is really not applicable to early stage companies because it doesn't really reflect the underlying processes. Um, so so for that kind of the earliest stages, and then when I say early stage, I say sub 25 million in ARR, it's definitely your unit economics that you want to focus on. Um, and then I'd say the other two things that we really look at now that we didn't a year ago or two years ago um, is burn. And you can talk about the burn multiple, if you will, but it's like really the same. Um, and ARR per FD, mm. which is um, also super interesting to look at because uh, a lot of people have been hiring like crazy. And uh, and that's it gives quite an interesting overview of the business. Um, I, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, so. I'll go back to this. Think about because obviously. When, when I did those interviews, many of those individuals were talking about recession playbooks. And, yep. and, um, and I think there were, it was for the American companies, it was very obvious that it's, it's, it's like a downswing in economy and very tough uh, environment to raise any money. I, I think, yes, we're discussing it to some extent in Europe, but how much have the volumes gone down in terms of funding rounds? Mm -hmm. like, I also hear that many companies are now preparing for the world that there won't be too many rounds the next 18 yeah. months or 24 months. Like, is that the case? And do you see it as well? A hundred percent. I mean, volume is down massively. Um, and I think there's also a lag in reporting. So even though you're reading about, you know, funding rounds being announced now, mm -hmm. they were probably done before summer. Yep. Investors do not want to invest right now. And if I were a startup, I would not go out and raise money right now. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, quality still pays. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible to raise money, but... Um, it's not as expensive as it used to be and people really don't know what to pay. Mm. I think that's the biggest issue. And a lot of funds also raised money because, I mean, the this is the kind of the downturn is not the unusual thing. The unusual thing is having 13 years of kind of a bullish stock mm. market. So we, like, a lot of funds raised money. Like, uh, we raised money from our investors mm. two years ago, one year ago, and we can sit on that. But how about, like, then I'm thinking, like, there's no rounds happening at the moment, but then... All the VCs and, and private equity, they have, I would imagine, more money than ever yeah. ready to be deployed. Yeah. Like, how should SaaS startups play this now? Like, you don't know if it's going to be the winter uh, for 12 months or 18 months, yeah. but there's so much money available, but nobody's doing anything yeah. because everybody's careful. Yeah. How would you do it? Would you try to make sure that your company's cash flow positive? and then ready to raise whenever the funding is available or what else? how would you advise? Yeah, so we the thing is like we don't, the funds, and this is like 
maybe a harsh reality, but we don't need to deploy. We can probably sit in our hands for a year because yeah. our deployment cycles vary and we're flexible. But um, I think, yes, we made sure this summer that all of our companies had at least 24 months of runway. Mm. And then we pushed them on profitability. And some companies understood it directly and some it took like three, four calls and just like, you need to shift. You cannot be hiring 40 people in H2. Um, but yes, steer towards profitability and then kind of go to debt. Make mm. sure you can look at kind of, there's tons of banks. I mean, mm. Silicon Valley Bank just established their first office in Stockholm like last month. Mm. Kind of look at debt. I'm not saying that's amazing, but I'm saying that you do not want to go out and fundraise right now. Mm. Um, so, okay. and, and a lot of companies, they don't, they don't understand profitability. And I think that's a challenge yeah. because they've access to capital has been so easy. Mm. Wait, can, can I ask uh, one thing that um, uh, me and Miko were not investors? Um, but but the one thing that doesn't make sense to me is that so investors say that they keep their investments for I don't know how, how long do you guys keep your investments for? Our fund is ten years. Yeah, and ten, then we can run over ten bit, years. Yeah. But say say between five and ten years. Yeah. So so right now, so you get to invest in companies for lower multiples. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know you're not if you invest in a company today, you're not expecting to sell the company next year because you're saying that you'll hold the investment for five to 10 years. So in a way, isn't it a really good market for you guys to actually invest now? Uh-huh. Um, right? Yeah, and, and it is. So that the, the fact that the multiples are going down, why? so why are investors so uh, nervous when, I mean, you're thinking about your investments for the long term anyway. Well, I think- So, so there is a ta- downturn, yes. Yeah. I understand that, but- I mean, if you if you really care about the, your return and and the multiples and where this company is in five to ten years, why are investors so nervous now? Yeah, I think there's two answers to that question, and I think it's not always about kind of investor nervousness, nervosity. Um, the best companies aren't racing right now, so the best companies know that they can raise at higher valuations in in a year, in eighteen months' time. Just as Miko said, they're kind of waiting for that. So it's not just that we're not you know, all the best ones are out there wanting money from us and we're not investing. It's also that we're not getting access to the best ones because they're like, screw you. We're not going to sell at these the prices. The market is not, not that, no activity in the market. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then the second thing is that, yes, um, you are right that we could invest now, but we also don't know what's happening. I think we're, I think it's we're going to see very different volumes in Q1 versus Q4 because we're still in it right now. Mm-hmm. And I think in Q1, things might have stabilized a bit more and then we might start doing deals. But I think it's, it's, it's also, at the end of the day, do companies turn profitable? And then kind of do the the whole kind of journey from there, or do they turn temporarily profitable and then have to raise more money? So it's not for us. I'd say in, at Series A, it's it's not about like will this company be a great company in five to seven years, but will they also be able to raise the money that they need to get there, or is this the last money in? And and those are two very different profiles. And I think a lot of founders are kind of on the fence when it comes to like, do we just not do this anymore? Do we just kind of go from here we are and, and the money we have, or do we kind of go in for the full fundraising journey. So it's like, I mean, one of one of the early stage KPIs as an investor is, do we see this company raising a Series B or Series C successfully? So that also goes into it. Mm. But I mean, there are rounds happening, obviously, yes. Um, there was, I tried to do a deal two weeks ago um, and lost to another fund that paid up. So obviously good rounds are happening, but I'd say it's, it's kind of more on the, if it's like pre-revenue and you put 5 million in, they could last seven years on that if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah, understand. Yeah, one one question. How many of you have ever built an investor deck uh, and send it to someone? Maybe you can raise your hand if you have been part of building an investor deck. Uh, now we have a person who has received funds of them. Like, what are mm-hmm. what are your tips for SaaS founders? Like, people always discuss and they look at the best 
SaaS pitch deck ever and they take that template and sometimes they start with the team, sometimes the metrics, sometimes the pain point they're solving. What is a good pitch deck? And also what's the best way to reach out to you if you do outbound? You want to get in touch with you, like a LinkedIn, email, phone call, intro, any tips for SaaS companies? It's a very good question. Um, I think I'll start with the second one, kind of the outbound. Um, email me, email any investor. I think there's no such thing as a warm intro anymore. Obviously it helps, but it's definitely not a prerequisite. I personally hate LinkedIn. So I literally have my email on my LinkedIn saying email me instead. Um, so that part is like super easy these days. Investors are approachable and the ones that aren't, they're assholes. So like don't do business with them anyway, um, if they're kind of still in their ivory towers. Um, the second one, the pitch deck is like, never spend too much time convincing someone there's a problem and that you're solving it because if people don't understand the problem they're never going to invest anyway you want people to kind of grasp the problem so kind of make that part really easy and don't spend like way too much time talking about it then kind of show kind of quick proof points of the tam because i think in general in an early stage i mean there's three things there's timing team and tam mm. um that makes sense and and then i mean also kind of don't be afraid to share like a 10 page slide deck. I think a lot of founders are sometimes a bit too scared and that will share it, but like have faith in the person that you're communicating with and like, don't, don't go like, no, I'll, I'll explain in a call because then that person, like it's way better to understand before, is this a fit? Should we waste 30 minutes of each other's time um, or not? So like, don't be afraid to share stuff. But otherwise, I mean, it's super standard and it's like, make pretty slides because we're, make it foolproof, make it idiot proof because <laughs> that's kind of the receiving end sometimes. Mm. <laughs> not too sophisticated. But you had a question, Kave, you were about to ask. Um, yeah, I thought this was uh, very interesting. But how much in, among investors, how much is it this herd mentality? I, I, oh, I, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. Uh, so I have been, um, as you know, we we have our CFO that is very good at these things and understands the market really well. And, and for me, I've been talking to a bunch of investors, but I do feel I like, yeah, I just wonder like how I, I feel like people get excited when other people are excited. Yeah, and and uh, so how much of that is there? Because to me, this thing where that market is down, you're an early stage or you're an investor in a private company mm. that you care about what the multiples are this quarter or the last six months. To me, and again, like I, I just don't understand. That's why I'm asking. Like to me, if you find a good company, say that Vino is a great company for you to invest in. Like if it was me, and I would love to invest mm. in Vino. Like. I don't care what happens to the uh, public markets or what the multiples are today. Like, if I'm an investor and I want to deploy money into a vinyl, like, I don't care. Like, I, I, if, as long as I'm thinking about this investment as like a, if that's the case, five to 10 year horizon, like, I think about this opportunity, I'm like, in five to 10 years, like, I would be like, yeah, this is a good company. Then to me, and again, I'm not an investor, but like, I'd be like, <laughs> I don't care what, what public market investors are thinking about SaaS yeah. multiples because I think that these people in five years will be so. But like, so the so you answered that earlier. But like, how's the herd mentality? Like, how does that work? So the herd mentality is is definitely a thing, and it's been over so overly present, I'd say, over the past two years. And it's like, I mean, it's it's like kind of kids in a candy store, right? If if one kid wants something, all the other kids are going to want it, and that's exactly what's kind of what the VC landscape has been like, I'd say, especially in twenty and twenty one. Um, the FOMO game, which is awful. And that's, I think, where you really see which funds have been in the market for a long time and that stay disciplined. Or the kind of the new fund managers who are willing to pay up because they just want to get in, get into these companies. Because basically, you know, if you said yes in the past 18, 24 months, then you were doing the right thing. The only way you would do the wrong thing would be by saying no, because everything just kept going up, 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 up. 
But the thing is that we also have our investors. We have our AGM once a year where all of our institutional pension funds go like, but why did you pay for this? Because you can't, you're not going to be able to IPO it, you know, at, the, at this price. So what are you banking on? What will happen? So I think there's, there's that part of things um, that kind of require us to stay disciplined. But it's also, I think it's, it's kind of back to what I said, you know, fundamentally, if, if, you can, if you can strike a deal with an entrepreneur, that's amazing. You should always do that regardless of the multiples around it. But like, how do you still as an investor, you kind of have to, you know, be held accountable to what is a reasonable price to pay. And why would Miko, you know, agree to letting you invest kind of way below what, what he thinks or vice versa. So it's all about the kind of the marriage part. Yeah. Um, and think about hopping, um, yeah. you know, um, about FOMO and then just people going crazy. And uh, I don't know, were you involved in hopping? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but we did hopping at seed. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm happy. Super impressive. Yeah. yeah. Obviously very impressive. But like what, like what, what, um, you say, you say that like, so this is what I feel that VCs are saying that they're like, yeah, we have a model. This has to make sense. We're looking at the exit multiples, mm -hmm. but then there's the herd mentality. Then everybody else in this. And then suddenly it's like, yeah, we don't care about that anymore. And then you just want to do yeah. the deals. Yeah. I mean, at some uh, point, and I think this is like, and I'm not going to, like, every fund has its its um, benefits and, and, you know, what they're good at and what they're less good at. I think there's been a very kind of insane price mentality, I think, especially if you would buy SoftBank and buy the hedge funds coming into the play. Because mm -hmm. what, what, what we've seen over the past year is basically go to Tiger and SoftBank driving up valuations. You know, when you're crazy enough, you just need to get a seat at the table and you're willing to pay whatever it takes. Like, you wouldn't see the early stage funds paying to sit at the hop and table at $7 billion. You wouldn't because mm. um, you stay disciplined. Um, so that is kind of the herd mentality when you, when you care less about you know, mm. the diligence of the company. I mean, Tiger used to say that they would spend 100 minutes for 100 million. So that's, that's, that's not the lot. way. Yeah. That's a lot, yeah. Or not a lot, <laughs> depending on what you were thinking of. But I think we'll now say thanks to Maxine. Also, yeah. thanks for Kave. And thanks, everyone, for joining. And let's continue the discussion in the common area. Thank you.